Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood, relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, the Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkiston.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Hello there, Aaron Nation. Welcome back to the Adulthood Revisit Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with me. I'm so glad and with gratitude that you're taking the time, energy to spend this time with me. You could be anywhere in the world. You probably are, in fact, somewhere in the world. But again, I want to thank you for um, taking time to hang out with me. And today I'm very excited because we have on the show a friend and colleague, Lara Apelian. She's an architect here in New York City. Uh, right now, out of, of like, Har- like Upper New- Harlem, right? The Harlem yep. area, which is pretty awesome. Uh, she's got a lot to share. I always have a great time talking to her, so I'm really excited to share that greatness with everyone here on the show. So, Lara, welcome to the Adulthood Revisit podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And to be I don't talk- know who's more, I think I'm more excited <laughs> than you are. So, let, this is going to be a ton of fun. I, I know it, like, right from the get-go. So, um, I just want to, like, I'll give you the floor and share with the world, like, a little bit about who you are, your backstory, and, and how you got to where you find yourself today. Sure. Um, I'm an architect and I'm licensed in New York and New Jersey, which means those are primarily the areas that I work in, Long Island, Brooklyn. Um, And I've always loved color and art and also math. And I've always loved school. (laughs) So all that kind of uh, um, navigated me towards doing architecture and undergrad at Carnegie Mellon and then uh, working in New York through 9-11 and experiencing so much about the city and the urban fabric and then going back for grad school at Yale where I um, just could I had the opportunity I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to play with more ideas there and meet some fantastic professors um, at both schools and then since then I've been working at New York City for um, almost 20 years in the industry and uh, just about a little over a year ago I um, embarked on my own studio so I could have some place to bring all the different projects I do from architecture, interiors, 
working on some custom wallpapers and who knows the sky's the limit (laughs) let me see this because i I don't know if i've ever if i if i know this off the top of my head but are you from new york originally or where are you from originally no it's funny i'm one of those people that don't really have a hometown i i grew up for the most part outside um philadelphia in one of those like suburbs like urban suburbs um but we we traveled a lot as kids um so we always had like school and a hometown but we moved houses quite often a couple every couple of years and my dad consulted a lot which meant um there were a lot of traveling opportunities because he consulted for firms in europe yeah and uh he was a professor at drexel university for a while so um that meant he also did sabbaticals or could do summers right you know, the academic world was kind of what i grew up with which was nice because we'd met all these professors and and really cool people that were happy to exchange houses for two months all this kind of stuff so the world <laughs> was a different place then but I'm just so it's curious because again I don't I don't think I I ever knew that about you and so have you ever thought about like how that shaped your like what you do now and and the work how that reflects in your work absolutely um yeah so first of all I'm one of those interesting people too that mem like I have my memory is really (laughs) interesting that I I remember even being like two years old so all that travel I I remember um very very well and I feel like all those different experiences seeing European towns, um, urban urban neighborhoods, um, cities, parks, all that really shaped um, my appreciation of space, my interest in kind of urban space, um, how people use space from a human level. So yeah, because that always was a big part of my interaction, whether it was like I was three and I couldn't reach the counters, <laughs> which was a, I was very small for a bummer for a while, to you know going to school and really like learning the history and the story of every building, every town, every corner has, especially in New York City, right? And in Europe, there's just, there's so much to learn. So that- It is is fascinating. I mean, you kind of like reminding me, I I was fortunate enough to to travel to Italy for a friend's wedding last year, and I was blown away by it. Yeah. A couple years ago, same thing. I was fortunate enough to travel to Stockholm and like the ingenuity to keep Stockholm, like the framework there, but then like- it's amazing the use yeah. of space and how um, you only learn that if you have to experience it, right? So, I mean, you with your travels growing up and I guess I, academics as well, but like it's an interesting experience to sort of see how people use space differently all around the world. And now as a professional, how you can sort of implement and deploy that with your clients. Um, curious that, so, all right, so your youth was sort of filled with travel, academics, which is fun. Are there any experiences that you recall where or you can point to and say, this is where I kind of decided that architecture is going to be where I, I like plant a stake and become an architect. No, I'm uh, much more of like an, it was much more of an evolving thing. Just like when people say, Oh, what day did the person, did a baby have their first word? That's like a whole two years of working on syllables till they can utter a word. Right. And I feel like where I am now, even, or when I decided to go to architecture school, it was always, um, one layer on top of another in terms of the journey and also one layer peeled away on, yeah. from another to discover what I really wanted to do, which took a while. And it took a lot of training and learning about the craft and diff- yeah. developing different skills and different experiences. I can tell you though, that I didn't um, apply for undergrad in architecture. I applied for engineering huh. because I never had exposure to architecture. Although I traveled and noticed all these things that like an architect's mind would notice like the size of a plaza, the size of a fountain, the sidewalks are narrow, you know, all these things. And it, I didn't know it was called architecture. 
because I didn't, I never had met an architect. <laughs> so so um, we, we were visiting Carnegie Mellon University, which was designed, um, Andrew Carnegie designed it just in case it didn't succeed as university. Each building from the old campus was designed as um, potentially being a factory building huh. for industrial use. So we got, we visited Carnegie Mellon campus and sure enough, we got lost in the building that the freshman architecture studios was in at the time. Cause it was the one of those things to get to the other side of the building and to go up, down, around and up, down again. <laughs> so, so we got lost and um, ended up finding the freshman architecture studios. I believe we were looking for some engineering thing at the time. And I saw they were doing the, the woodshop project. A lot of first year traditional schools for architecture undergrads, the first year they have to build something that a human can use out of wood. So it's usually a chair or a table. It's one of those rite of passage assignments. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I saw what they were doing and I just went in, my dad and I started talking to different kids and I saw how they went from a drawing and an idea and did historical research or not, you know, but had some precedent um, like work done. Right. And they went from that to how to build it to fabricating it and finishing it. So there you go. That was in a way the aha moment. And I put my application that week under architecture also. Got it. So that was kind of one of the, one of the many pivots, I would say. Nice. That's awesome. That's a cool story. I didn't know, I didn't know that about you. That's, that's very cool. Um, just for, just generally speaking, um, what, when you're working with clients, right? What, what constitutes like architecture or your relationship with clients to, to create a product? Like, what does that look like? Ah, so the process, you mean? Right. The process, well, it depends what the project is, right? Every project has a, a slightly different process and approvals that you need. But pretty much it goes from learning who the client is, really learning what they want. Um, sometimes there's a difference between what they think they want and what they need. So we really hash that out and communication is key there. Um, and really understanding the project site. So it could be like a co-op apartment that has like six binders of rules we have to get through, which is fine. Or it might be a ground for commercial in a, a landmarked building. So we have to honor that and learn about that. Or it could be just like a field that someone wants to build farmhouses because they're um, building like a, a wheat factory. <laughs> it could be a lot of different things, but you've got to really understand what, what that site is, who the person is, what they want, and then you can steer the process from there, which I, um, I always outline from the beginning. So someone knows where our journey is headed in a linear. I want to talk a little more about that fleshing it out with the client, because I feel there, there are similarities with like running a practice, like the, what the building is or a site is and can be used for, like that's, that, that's the field in which you're playing. Yeah. And then like fleshing out what, what a client wants and like the expectations that's, I think like for me, the, where I'm very curious, like how, how do you flesh that out? And then also enroll a client in like, you know, the reason I'm asking this because I find oftentimes when I'm meeting with clients, their expectation of what, let's say a case is going to look like, what a case is going to be, what I can and can't do is so far out from what I really can do. Like I have to enroll them into like this, this idea. So what's that conversation like, or how do you enroll your clients where, this, this is the, these are the rules that you're playing with, whatever the, let's say co-op or the, the landmark. Um, but then a client says, this is what they, they feel they want. And then how do you get them to like the project and, and what actually happens? 
Um, I think, yeah, there's a definitely an education, educating the client after I educate myself, right, and, and learn the project. Um, there's definitely a huge communication piece in ed educating the client. And I really do that upfront, right, when they retain me, um, because I don't want to waste anyone's time. So I really want them to have a clear understanding of expectations. You know, there's a lot of jokes that like expectation management is like the key to any relationship. So that definitely applies in my field. Um, and I really want them to know what they can get um, versus not, or what's attainable, what's not, what will take longer, what won't. So there's really um, a very clear dialogue that happens where I really take them through the whole steps and I even put it in my proposal. So it's like from, you know, design phase, approvals, like everything that they need for their specific project. And I also um, definitely look to their budget to see what's doable. Right. So a lot of people want, you know, the moon but their budget is like not, you know? So we, again, a lot we can work with, but I always um, have to just kind of do a reality check. What are the, I mean, are there common difficulties or objections that you face when, again, enrolling a prospective client to, to work with you? Um, I mean, I, I would assume that budget's probably one huge constraint, but outside of that, I'm, I wonder if there are like, like you, generally speaking, you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know, right? And a, a client who's seeking to work with the space and transform it, again, like you're educating them what, what options are available. But are, when you're having that conversation, so let's say, let's materialize a project or this is what it's ultimately going to look like. What, do objections pop up that are, that are common? I, I don't know what, what, what those may be. Yeah. You know, once we've gotten through the overall, what, what we just talked about a second ago, like what's the lay of the land? What's the linear timetable schedule? What can we do? And we, want, and we go forward from there. Um, I think what you're talking about is like visualizing the design, right? So early on, I also gauge um, a client's ability to do that. And sometimes, you know, I get it wrong, but usually I get, I'm pretty, I've gotten better at like yeah. understanding that from the get-go. And I include that in what I'm providing them. So if someone really just needs to see it, um, anyway, I always draw by hand as part of my design process. I always use 3D. I always hand sketch. Um, so I always make sure that there's visual representation. So you can actually see what it's going to look like. Right. Because um, my whole motto is like I try to minimize the, in the studio at least, um, I try to minimize the surprises. You right. know, keep those for parties. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because, you know, the, the most costly thing, time and money, is when it's already built and someone says, oh, I don't like it. Or, oh, right. that's not what I wanted. So I've never had that happen to me because I always, I really do my due diligence in my studio to um, check in with the client and really send them um, lots of things to look at and weigh yeah. in on. And then it's a discussion. Then it's a conversation. Yeah. Let me ask you this, um, because you, you mentioned something that I, like piqued my interest, the art, like an architect's eye. What does that mean to like, people who are not everyday laypersons, right? Myself, right? If I were, if I were to go to my apartment right now, um, what, what is the architect's side? What, like, is it, it's are you so looking cool. for the functionality <laughs> of this? <laughs> it's so cool. So for me, you know, I'm sure it's different for everyone. For me, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm usually not like anyone else I've met, <laughs> so for better or for worse. Um, but I can walk into a room, I can walk down a street, I can look at a building and kind of visualize what it should be. Or I can like think of it in another color scheme and visualize that. Or I can walk into a space and like instantly with my eyes, like in like a minute, edit, edit what I see to be like, oh, if it had different curtains and a different color 
floor and and then if all these objects were like put away and kind of visualize what it wants to be yeah so that sounds kind of crazy but it's true it happens all the time do you think just and again i'm, I'm forget about law i don't want to say forget about but sort of setting aside let's say large-scale projects or whatnot but for for the individual and i'm just living in their home do you think that and maybe this is a weird question because it's kind of binary do you think that someone should be guided by like how they use their space in a utilitarian fashion or should it be reflective of like something else maybe who they are as a person i, I don't know what that experience is like when you're dealing with clients like what do you think most people are guided by when they're making their choices about their spaces um i what I, I don't know what people are guided by always, but what I try to recommend or try to guide my clients towards and what I kind of measure is um, how you use the space, so the functionality of it, but also what brings you joy. Because those are inherently um, much more embedded in each other. So if I had to look at it in a binary way, which I know there's so many more factors, those are the two things I look at because Part of it's functionality. Like there was a criminal law office that I just renovated that had no walls. So there was no privacy for their clients. They didn't have a conference room. So that was something we, need to, we needed to subdivide the huge raw space into offices and a conference room. And you know, there was a functionality to that, right? But there was an, another component too, other than the look and all that, was what brings them joy. So you know, they love color, as do I. So I you know, brought a lot of like accent walls and a cool reception desk and um, I'm just finishing up the install of their furniture now, which is like modern and beautiful. Um, so, and and on a residential scale, I think that speaks even more. So for example, someone's garden might bring them joy, right? So they wanna see that, maximize the views to the outside. There's ways to incorporate that in the inside or in their kitchen or, you know? So it's really like, what what is your story? I always ask my clients, you know? That's it's different, what, you know, yeah. I want to ask like, what, are there questions that you use to elicit that information? Because uh, functionality seems easy, right? Well, not, not easy, but like, I need this space to do this. But then what brings a person joy, especially with a space where there's some like degree of permanency? Like, how do, you, how do you bring that out? I usually just have a conversation with them because I know other firms that have like a checklist. And sometimes I tell myself, oh, should I have that? But honestly, when I look at a checklist that I'm supposed to fill out for you, Part of me dies every day. <laughs> it's just, no one wants to do it. No one wants to do it. It takes the joy out of it. So I'd rather get to know my clients and kind of have a one-on-one -on -one and ask them those questions. And um, more times than not, they tell me because they've, they've seek, sought out an architect and they are taking ownership and investing in their own space, right? They want to renovate it or improve it. So they usually tell me their vision or offer up a lot of... Um, insight onto what what makes them tick what do they love what do they hate what can't you know what do they disagree with their um partner on and just yeah. like you know so it all comes out and i can really um usually help find a solution that meets that you know something else that i think we, we kind of touched on this in, a, in another conversation before but and this is going to be maybe a larger larger issue do you think, like, how, how would you say, if, you, if you've given it any thought, like, what the architect's role is in, like, larger society? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And I, I think architects um, have contributed most and do the best for society as a whole when they can put um, 
they can create a vision and help visualize a better world. So that's again, a big statement. But for example, um, like a town plan, you know, how to improve a town or how to modernize a town, meaning like there's new businesses moving into a small town. So there've been a lot of architects that have studied small towns and how to make them grow by preserving the historical center, growing in a way that's sustainable for um, energy concerns, for the environment. Um, ways that like really bring about a beautiful life. There's like a bike lane in some towns that I know, especially in Europe. There's places to park. There's things that meet everyone's needs. So I feel like architecture has helped visualize from town planning to buildings and projects, specific ones, um, has helped visualize um, a way that we can be that's maybe elevating the everyday. Do you think that, I mean, it sounds like, I, I'd posit to say that you agree with the statement, but do you think that it's the architectural community's responsibility to do that? I do. I mean, not in a concrete way, but um, yeah, I do. Because um, I, I do think that as an architect who's been trained, who studied all these things for so many years, I should hope that it is their responsibility to be thoughtful about what they put forward. So thoughtful comes from engaging the five senses. That's like something they teach you like first year undergrad, you know? Right. How does something look, sound, smell, touch? Um, engaging human interaction. Who's gonna use this? How can we make it for all? You know, this is a very small example, but I had a university project that had a bathroom without a changing table for kids. So I recommended, hey, how about we put one in both bathrooms? Again, this is like, I'm dating myself. This is like 10 years ago. But at the time that was like, They'd never thought of that, you know? So I think there's ways in, in the midst of a project um, uh, process that architects can bring forth ideas from a building to a larger scale that help um, humanize, equalize, and delight, you know? So that, you know, the best projects do that. You walk into Rem Coolhouse Design, the Seattle Public Library. You walk into that and it's just an experience. You look up, it's like fascinating. Or um, the Salk Institute, you know, you go there, the, it, it, the experience of water, the horizon, it takes you somewhere else that your normal life wouldn't normally show you. So that's like the best examples. Um, but on an everyday basis, I think that architects, no matter what they're doing, can always put forward ideas for like humanity and equality even in small ways, like a changing table. <laughs> so, it, it, all, it all matters, you know? Uh, let's turn to you personally. So you shared that uh, a little while, maybe a year, a year or two years ago, you decided to make the pivot to pursue your own studio. Um, what was, what was, I guess, your career trajectory like prior to that in the experience? And then maybe share a little about what that dynamic was, that conversation when you finally decided to say, I'm doing, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, again, it was a couple conversations. <laughs> I'm not a fan of these like pivotal moments because I really think life is such um, an evolving constant um, rather than these like singular isolated events. But, um, but yeah, I, I was working at a small firm um, in Montclair, great guys, and uh, just for two years. Um, and I've kind of always been a leader in whatever I do like loving working with team, always, always learning, but always the leader in whatever projects I'm working on. Um, and that was the case there also. And it was getting to the point where I really was bringing in clients and also seeing how to improve said firm. And, you know, the guys running it liked it the way it was. So 
I was realizing very quickly that I just needed to carve out my own studio and branch out on my own. I just ha didn't have the courage to do it. Right. So I think I needed that last um, step. Um, and I also looking forward really wanted a place where it was, you know, I had this studio workspace where I could be experimenting, working with different people, different projects so that, you know, forward 10 years, I'm kind of the boss of my own schedule and <laughs> very large workload. <laughs> yeah. if, if you can go back to the time be right before you, you left the firm, mm -hmm. what would you say, again, I'm not going to say the conversation, but conversations, like what were the thoughts going, or, or I guess the, the thoughts holding you back from, I don't know if you ever felt the inclination to go on your own sooner than that, or, I mean, it's, it's okay too that you, where you were working in that time and place in your life was what you needed, but prior to actually doing the thing and, and starting your own studio, was there any, were there any thoughts of like trepidation? Let me not oh, do it. Fear. Definitely. Like and I've, I've learned to live with those and now they're like my joy <laughs> or like I'm grateful for them. But yeah, there was like a solid, I don't know, year, like a couple months before I started. And then, you know, going into my first year where it was like utter fear every day because it's like um, leaping. So there's that phrase that um, someone I know um, loves saying leap and a net will appear. Right. But you're like, where's the net? I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's pretty scary. So, um, yeah, definitely. It was a big leap, especially as a single mom, a new, newly single mom taking that leap, um, for financial reasons right. for just, you know, sheer confidence. Could I do it? You know? Um, but yeah, definitely like built up those muscles of leaping. <laughs> and so now like the, the practice, uh, talk about maybe the experience, what, what that has it, has it been sort of what you expected what kind of like twists and turns have you experienced? And um, yeah, let's start with that. Cause I, I, the next thing yeah. I want to talk about is where you're located and how that influences okay. what you do as well. Yeah, no, I think that the biggest thing that I learned because I'm such, um, people call me zoom zoom. Like I like to be really fast and kind of go to the next, go to the next. So the biggest lesson for me was patience through all the, you know, normal ups and downs of building up your first firm. So being patient that people will get back to me, being patient that the work will come. You know, so even now in COVID, anytime I have a little trepidation of projects, you know, what's going to happen in December? Well, let's focus on what's happening today. <laughs> and um, I found a lot of joy in that because I love the people and projects I'm working on. And yeah. you just got to do good work. You just got to focus on doing good work. Be patient, be mindful, and just keep working, working, doing your best. So um, that I didn't know as much that there's, it's okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to get touch on like where you're located too, because I think like, I, I think we talked about this before, unless I'm mistaking the conversation, but I'm pretty confident we did, but where you're located is so rich with like inspiration. Right. And yeah. sort of, why don't you, I mean, if, if you have any thoughts on like how Absolutely. that influences Absolutely. projects um, you work on and. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would love to. Um, my office is in central Harlem on 7th Ave and 138th Street in Strivers Row um, on Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard. Um, and I love Central Harlem. It's like most of New York, but there's so much rich culture there and so much history to even just the block that I work on. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love being an architect and one of the reasons I love working in New York City. Because every building, I mean, from just the tenants, who's who lived here, to the architecture, is just um, 
so replete with so many interesting tidbits and gossip and historical facts. And, um, and that area in central Harlem has so many beautiful brownstones um, that is wonderful to, to, to see. Um, so yeah, the people in the neighborhood also, um, uh, I love connecting to and reaching out. Um, one of my signatures is that I need to move a lot. <laughs> so so um, I often take little breaks where I'm walking around the block. So the people in that neighborhood got to know me really well. So I'm always doing a walk and then I'm like, okay, I got my idea going back, you know, going back to work. So that's one of my signature things that I do. Um, but yeah, I love, I love working there and um, connecting with the people in the community, which I think is another huge thing that, um, a huge potential and gift that architecture can bring getting to know your neighbors, getting to know your community, how you can help. So. Um, which kind of leads me into, which I, I, a good segue to kind of what I wanted to get into next. Let's say, I mean, how, what, what do you want to share about architecture, whether like in the people in your life, children or not, the, the people that you work with, like what, what's the message that you have or, like the gift that you're sharing through the work that you do. Yeah. I mean, I guess two things, um, because I've just been thinking about a lot of things through this time. Yeah. Um, personally, in my practice, we really try to help people envision how they want to work and live and how we can improve that um, for, you know, to meet their budget, to meet their lifestyle so that, um, you know, well after the renovation's done, they're like, ah, you know, it, their everyday life is improved, whether that's, their restaurant, their office, their store, their home, their uh, apartment. So we really want to bring that kind of joy and um, color and beauty to people's right. lives. Um, and then architecture in general, you know, I really have been thinking a lot this week about the power architects and architecture has to bring about um, a better and more equal world. And yeah, I know we're not the, you know, the people that make the laws and all the organizations and things like that, but you know, we have a voice um, that we should use more. So whether that's like an individual project or your local town community board, things like that, I just really um, have been thinking about ways that our generation can be more active in that. And many architects have, like in the yeah. city, you know, when there's a building that's a beautiful building slated to be torn down you know that's how the landmarks preservation commission started you know so people do gather and build up but i just um for the future generations just um i've been thinking about kind of um, advocating for that to continue and build up more on a local scale yeah for for the quote-unquote untrained eye right and it's like again there's there's theory and intention behind design when you're working on a project right how how does someone like me who doesn't, I, I don't, I, like I wouldn't be able to look at a facade and be able to, I, I don't have that power that to, to see what it's like, what's the story trying to tell. Like, do you have some, I don't want to say tips, but like a method or like some things you insight you can share of when like you're walking, someone who's listening to this walking down the street, just look, look for this or look at this a certain way to appreciate the story behind it. Yeah, I mean, I guess the best way for me to say that for anyone that's like a universal thing is just engage your senses. I feel like so many people, especially before this time, were really just in the head, in the head, in the mind, what to do, 
thought, 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 and they weren't really connecting to their heart, to their body, to their senses. So, um, and this is more like a life motto, but definitely plays into appreciating architecture too, is just engage your senses. Really, it's like those five senses we learn when we're like three, you know, or four or five. Um, and often when a building really spells it out or there's an experience, you know, like even Lincoln Center, when you walk into that and you hear the water and you can feel some spray on you, you know, all of a sudden that kind of like wakens you up to that, right? So um, I would just, yeah, encourage you to kind of try to plug into those. Um, where, I mean, New York City sort of, I guess New York City is filled with it, but what, I mean, you mentioned a couple before, are there any projects or sites that you think everyone should look at to do, to do just that, like, appreciate the i guess rec yeah rec what are what are recommended sites from lada to say like check this out and and like you'll be able to vividly appreciate the story i mean i'm sure there are a lot of places but do you have any any sites that pop <laughs> up uh, top of mind for um you? there's so many sites i mean <laughs> like all of new york city um <laughs> no really um i think uh i think going through midtown 57th Street um, from uh, Central Park West all the way east to Fifth Ave is an interesting juxtaposition of the park and buildings, you know? Um, yeah, honestly, for New York City, which literally almost every block has something to look at, I would just um, recommend getting lost and always walking a different way. Yeah. Because you always discover something new and don't forget to look up. <laughs> That's my biggest tip. That's true. How many buildings do you look at the roof? I mean, I'm, it's very rare that I, I, I look up at the, like, what the top, what the surface yeah. looks like. Although that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, what, let's talk about your business. Like, what do you have in plan? Like, what do you want to have happen with your business? What are your aspirations? And um, I, I, like, I don't want to say what's constitutes success, right? But if there's, if you have, a scale or something, what, what for you makes you go home and say, you know what, this was like a good day, a good project. <laughs> like I'm proud of, of what happened. Yeah. Um, every day, honestly, is a good day for us. Um, but the days that I say that the most are, you know, achievements always highlight, you know, when we got through, we got something really great done for our client. Um, and then, you know, my, one of the main things we do on a daily basis is communicate right, for with consultants, tradespeople, our clients. So that's one of our hallmarks of our firm that um, sometimes people don't find in their architects. So we really pride ourselves on communicating so that uh, managing expectations, you know, just delivering good news <laughs> I think always makes people feel good. Um, but right now we're um, very happy to be working on an office renovation that's really big and some um, co-op apartment renovations. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the fall. I hope we get some more connections with wonderful clients that want to renovate their townhome or apartment, yeah. um, or store or restaurant. What do you think, do you think that there's, a there's going to be a shift in maybe the future of architecture and sort of incorporating some of the thoughts that you shared about responsible design, inclusive design? Um, I don't know, I don't know if you have, if you have any thoughts on what, what that looks like. Well, I think um, there's going to be a, a, a new look, possibly a shift, but a new look at small towns 
I think a lot of people are relocating to small towns. So I think it's um, uh, looking at a way people can live more sustainably, which I think means, you know, when you're renovating buildings, try to use the LEED standards or try to look at that kind of stuff. Um, and also, I think distance is going to be um, revived. So in terms of how can people live and commute without such a big tax on transportation and cars. I think this time period, a lot of people have seen how the, the lack of being able to drive so easily and commute and to get, get on a subway or bus or train um, with ease has affected and sometimes improved their lives. Yeah. So I think you know, that the proximity of things, the adjacencies, I think are gonna start shrinking a little. I'm interested to see if they do and how they do. Yeah. I think that could provide really interesting solutions for small towns, um, for more like live and work spaces, for retail and residential more next to each other as opposed to far away. And then the other thing I was just reading about is um, malls. I know they've gone through a lot of like rises and falls, but I think there's going to be another round of falls with all the online retail and um, the ricochet um, effects of this COVID time that we've been living through. And I just had a random thought this weekend. I said, what if, you know, what if even 25% or 40% of all those mall sites were reappropriated and changed into agricultural sites. So for farming and like a CSA kind of system, you know, that, that benefit that small town or that area, you know, so I'm just, I'm just, I guess, thinking more about architecture and a bigger picture and how it can help relocalize um, towns and urban centers. It's a fascinating conversation because I mean, just as you saying that I'm thinking most, most malls or many malls, strip malls or larger ones end up like up prior to prior to what like shutdown and lockdown it was often the place where most people kind con- like most people congregated for the most amount of time right it's it ended up being like that's the place where most of the things are happening and you're right like if 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 malls aren't going to be used for shopping anymore what do you do with that space i remember i was driving you kind of like stoked the memory i was driving back from visiting a friend in missouri and like as soon as we got on the highway, this it, there was this huge, huge mall. Oh right! And it was just Lots empty. Of big ones, yeah. It was just empty. There was no stores, no anything. And I'm wondering yeah. what's what's going on with this real estate. Like there's there's the land is resource, and obviously, like I would assume that there are people in Missouri that need whether it's housing, whether it's food, and it's a very good yeah, question. How do you reappropriate? A lot of needs. Yeah, in the mid '90s, that's the, there was one, you know, uh, cycle of life and death of the malls, and but they got reappropriated and changed into the big box stores, right? And then we saw like the next decade of the boom of the WalMarts and the all that. So I, I, that's one of my like areas that I could just detour on, but I'll, I'll spare you all the, <laughs> the details. But yeah, so this is a third cycle. We'll see yeah. where it lands us. Would you have any any books, and they don't have to be architecture related, but like. I, I'm always curious, just for my own like selfish, selfish reason. Like, what what books do you do you enjoy reading, and do you have like recommendations for books? I read a lot. Um, so, and a wide range of things, from like artists to architects to theory to like Carl Jung <laughs> to children's books. So, um, honestly, the thing that I would, if I could recommend any book, honestly, to people, um, it's one that really teaches how to be a really good human which is um, the, the Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Um, Le Petit Prince, it's called in French. And um, one of the reasons why 
I would recommend that to honestly any person living is because it shows how to take care of your planet. <laughs> like literally, he wakes up every day, that's what he does. It shows how to care for things, it shows how to care for others. Um, it's a beautiful example of what love is and kindness. And I feel like from architecture to running a business, dealing with other people and everyone's day to day, no matter what your profession is, I think at this time, I'm hoping that everyone can kind of walk away with that. Um, and hopefully learn a little bit more of that. That's so awesome. I, I was not <laughs> expecting that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, personally, I want to, if, if you remove architecture from what you do with your time and energy and like business, have you ever thought about what else you would, you would be interested in doing? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think architects in general do a lot because they're always like coming up with different things. And I feel like a lot of architects are artists who never were. <laughs> so. Um, not to put myself in that category, hopefully, but um, yeah, I love painting and I love um, making lamps and different things. So, um, and that is what I do when I have free time, which I know I don't have an abundance, but I work on things. Like making lamps? Yeah, like little light fixtures. They're all in, in my Harlem studio right now, but um, yeah. Right, so it's like ceramic or, or how do you? How do you... I, I do wood and paper right now. I haven't, so they're just prototypes. I haven't yeah. put any into man manufacturing yet. Um, but yeah, I'd play around with that. And I love painting. And a lot of my painting that I've done the past like three years has led into different patterns, which is like leading into my wallpaper patterns that I'm working on for projects. Very awesome. Very awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. We're like, always up to something us architects. Your we're freshman skills coming in handy now to build those lamps. How about that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're always up to something. <laughs> cool. um, well, Laura, let me ask you this, because you know, you've been very, this, this has been a, a very fascinating conversation, but I actually want to turn the floor to you. Like um, speaking to our audience out there, uh, um, you know, I know, like, I know you as a person who like, your emotions or your feelings like your love for the world shows in everything you do I mean, i'm very genuine about that um but i i can say that because i know you personally like uh but what do you have whether thoughts or any thoughts or lessons that you want to share with people out there that are listening that um that are on your mind when it comes to i'll stick to the architecture realm because okay. i think um outside of it, it's, it, that would be a separate podcast, <laughs> I think. Um, but in the architecture and build environment realm um, and improving what you have, um, no, I would, just, I would just, you know, welcome people to contact me if they want to talk about a potential project. You know, I'll always do a, a phone call to meet people um, and to connect. Um, so I look forward to, you know, people inquiring on that front. Um, and in terms of any other messages, um, you know, I think the way we live is being reevaluated now. The time that we're spending at home is more than ever. So, you know, I just, I just hope everyone takes a moment uh, to reflect how they can improve on that and uh, how they can do right to others, you know? Yeah. So I always bring it back to the human experience or the human um, beings in this world, because I think that matters to me always and now more than ever ever so. you're so true i mean because at the end of the day no matter who you're doing whether it's doing business or doing something else like it's with another person on the other line so um i appreciate you for like oh making that sort of a priority 
both in your work and also personally. So Lara Palian, thank you so much. This has been like a very fun, inspirational conversation that like yeah. gets people think, I, I hope people listen to this and they, first of all, if one person reaches out to me and says, you know what, I listened to this episode and I looked up, <laughs> That's a success. Exactly. Just look up. Then look around. (laughs) That's going to be really awesome. So, Lara, again, I want to thank you. How can people reach you uh, if they want to get in touch with you again, maybe to to work work a little more closely with you or find out more about you? Um, They can look me up on my website, www.laraapelian.com. I think you'll you'll send the link that way. Um, And uh, I look forward to talking to them. And thank you so much for having me. This is exceptional. This was so amazing. Again, everybody, <laughs> Lara Pallian, architect here in New York City. I'll link up the contact information in the show notes. And with that, AR Nation, take care, be well, and bye for now. Hey there, AR Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.